can all sit at the table and grow in this favor. Say yeah. Say yeah. Welcome to the Western Revolution Show. The show for men and the people who love them. Where we discuss how men can find and embrace the healthiest versions of themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corporal. Yes. What's up, everybody? Hope everybody's doing well this week. Looking forward to this exciting show of What's Your Revolution? A couple years ago, I decided to leave academia, leave that cush job of being a professor. I've been in education for 20 years and decided to start my own business. That's how the impetus What's Your Revolution came about. I became this equity consultant going around the country speaking and working with organizations to find ways for their organizations and themselves to thrive. It has been a wonderful endeavor, a wonderful trip, a wonderful opportunity to spread the knowledge. But the interesting thing about being an entrepreneur is that I was a former academic. I had no clue how to do this. I jumped out on my own. And then all of a sudden I met Bayou Lois Lane, my good producer, and she said, you know what, you need a business plan. What is that? <laughs> what is that, a business plan? I just jumped out. I can do this. No, but we put a business plan together, making sure that What's Your Revolution could thrive. But then all of a sudden, three years in, after big contracts are gone, if you know as a consultant, there will be ups and downs. The business slowed down. And I was like, what? What do we do? Fortunately, I was able to meet some good people at Propeller. My man, Daniel Applewhite, beside me, who I'll introduce in a minute, in a few moments. They gave me the tools. My man, Blake Stanfield, over at Tretwise, Lulu Carler, Jess Allen, uh, all the people at Tretwise and Propeller showed me something that I hadn't seen before, how to be an entrepreneur, how to be that person that was going to be able to build a business and scale. And so today I wanted to bring the knowledge that many of us need that we don't have the cachet that when we go into business. I don't want to have that conversation with several good brothers today. Daniel Applewhite, as I said. My main man, Roderick Miller. What's up, Rod? How you doing? Good to be here. Thanks for having me. No doubt, no doubt. Roderick Miller is the CEO and founder of Ascendant Global Consulting. This brother is the former CEO, director of the Noble Business Alliance, has done work in Detroit, which I will let him dictate in a few moments. Brother Rod, as we begin this conversation about access to capital, i got to ask you, what's your revolution? You know, my revolution is I want to impact communities to be the strongest that they can be and recognize the power that's latent power just sitting in the community. So that's really what my revolution is about empowering communities to take control of their economic future. Gotcha. And we know uh, communities all across the country are looking for ways, particularly communities of color, that are looking for ways to continue to empower and grow and sustain as we see that across the country. I know, you know, we've got some floundering communities, and I know you're doing great work not only in the United States, but internationally as well. Daniel Applewhite, I call him the guru. <laughs> if you have not, if you have not met this brother man, you need to spend a little bit of time with him. He is the director of programs over at Propeller. As I said, Startup Accelerator, Growth Accelerator, it gives entrepreneurs the cachet to grow. Brother Daniel, what's happening, man? What's your revolution? Look, I'm happy to be here, Dr. Corporal. I really do appreciate it. Um, 
and and thank you for the kind words. I'm going to try and continue to live up to that expectation. But um, my revolution is is increasing access uh, to opportunity, um, and that opportunity mainly being around the power structures that surround building businesses. Um, so we're looking at financial opportunity, but also the opportunity to make a positive impact with your business um, on your immediate surroundings as well as uh, on the communities that you work with. No doubt, no doubt. I made sure that I shared your uh, What's Your Revolution again on my page. You know, this brother, I go around <laughs> asking people that that most thought-provoking question of their life, What's Your Revolution? So many views, brother, on what you had to say, man. I appreciate that. Nah, no doubt, no <laughs> doubt. Brother Rod. You know, you're doing such big things, and I appreciate the time that you're giving us today. What motivated you to begin Ascendant Global Consulting? Yeah, what motivated me was that I saw this trend around the country where, um, well, increasingly I was being asked by my colleagues in economic development to look at the challenges that were going on in the community. But I, I realized that as our economy, our world is in the middle of a major economic transition. Mm-hmm. And that economic transition is moving out of the information age into the next age. And what that means is that there is a lot of uncertainty, a lot of uncertainty about the future. What that also means is, so that's, that's change one, like this huge technological shift that's going to reshape industry. The other big change, is, of course, is that communities of color will be the majority population right, right. in the United States in the next 20 years. And what that really means is that we know that communities of color in, in mass underperform versus majority community in nearly every socioeconomic indicator. So if communities of color aren't doing well, that means over the long term the U.S. won't do well. And, so as I, and then the third one is global competition, the rise of the rest of the world. You're seeing increasing investments in infrastructure and education and technology, et cetera, in economies around, in around, around the globe while the U.S. is decreasing its spending in these areas. So what that means is that our competitive advantage, historic competitive advantage, of investment in these areas is going to set a disadvantage. So as I thought about those things, I said, you know what? There is an opportunity to carve paths for communities to be optimally successful in terms of workforce development, in terms of economic development. There's an opportunity for communities of color to participate in the economy in a way that they have, and there's an opportunity for communities that have been downtrodden to actually play in this new space, and I wanted to be a part of that. No doubt, no doubt. We had some good conversation last night. And one of the things that you really brought to my attention and uh, I want to highlight is that in particularly in community colors, particularly with black men, we're seeing a larger, even though the, the unemployment rate is 4.1%, Rod, we're seeing 40 to 50% unemployment rate for African-American and men of color all over the country. What happens if we begin to employ these men, not underemploy them, but provide them with the workforce development skills to be employed and be able to provide for their communities. That's absolutely right. So as we start to segregate the data, or disaggregate the data, rather, you really start to see some shocking realities in terms of black men and economic performance, how black men have really been cut out of the, uh, of the economic game and cut out of the system. And one could argue whether it is intentional or systemic or whether it's just the byproduct of a bunch of other things. It really doesn't matter. That's where we find ourselves. And so one of the things that's most interesting is that we see that many of um, uh, uh, that, that there's an, an, an opportunity to be entrepreneurs. We know that the black community has a lot of entrepreneurship kind of natural skills. But what I tend to find is that by and large, 
um, black businesses uh, or black people understand neighborhood businesses. They may understand yes. some yes. some sorts of manufacturing, that sort of thing. But what they really don't, what we tend not to have a lot of is high growth businesses in our community. So what I, I see, I see there are a few opportunities for black men. One is I think there is an opportunity. We do need neighborhood businesses, but neighborhood businesses by and large will support a family, maybe a few families. And that's okay. And we've got a lot of those businesses, but only like 4% of black businesses actually have employees. Right, exactly. So, so I think the big opportunity is to figure out how to facilitate uh, transactions that allow black businesses to do businesses of scale. And these businesses of scale, they tend to have higher risk, but they also have much higher rewards. So a lot of the work that I've, I've been doing is trying to figure out how do we create systems that really facilitate scaling businesses of color. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Daniel, Daniel. So while you're telling us how you moved into the role, could you also add to what Rod is saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and I think what Rod was saying was spot on um, and, and, and ties into a lot of, of what I believe my revolution to be. There right? you go. Talk about it, brother. Um, and so I, I think what was touched on in terms of a, a gap in high-growth businesses, um, when we're looking at black founders and founders of color, uh, I think it's incredibly important we're looking at almost a two-pronged approach um, to this problem, right? And the problem's a lack of opportunity, a lack of representation, um, and it goes to that 4% number, also a, lot, a lack of job creation, right? If we're not creating jobs and creating wealth, um, then other people are making the decisions for us, right? And so I, I see the two-pronged approach being uh, investor education, so targeting funder bias, right, um, as well as working with black business owners um, around the models of scalability as it ties to their business and making sure that we acknowledge there is funding bias. So when seeking investment dollars, right, um, understanding there's going to be hurdles that black entrepreneurs are going to have to jump over and jump through uh, that other entrepreneurs won't have to do. Right. So uh, unpack that. Let's get into that. What are some of those hurdles that entrepreneurs of color have to jump? that wouldn't be there in the first place if they were another race? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a loaded question, right? And there's a lot to unpack in there. And I, and I would – let me start with the first part. The first part is uh, I would say just simple access uh, to financial capital, right? Um, and then the second part, I'm going to look at kind of how the business starts and the model uh, in which growth is almost projected out or visualized, right? And so when we're looking at early stage financing, if you're starting a business, um, the norm nowadays is that if you're, if you're a high growth business, you start with a friends and family round. After a friends and family round, maybe you, you raise a seed round, then a series A and so on. So, let, okay, so some people might know, what, what's a friends and family round? Yeah, and, and so a, fr a friends and family round, the expectation is, uh, Dr. Corporal, you have a great idea. Go to your friends and family network, if you have a great idea and it's going to make some money, it shouldn't be too hard for you to quickly raise about $100,000. $100,000. Right. Yeah. Wow. That should uh, be pretty easy. That should be right? pretty easy. Yeah. Right. Rod, did you hear that? And, and, and I would say that that's the, that's, the low, that's the low number. I would say that's in the, that's in the case when everything is right, $100,000. I've been scenarios where the funds and family round is $250,000 to $300,000. Yep. Wow, $250,000 yeah. to $300,000. So, um, um, <laughs> yeah. The obvious question is, but we're already African-Americans who are struggling financially. Exactly. What friends and family do you know? It, exactly. <laughs> it, it, exactly. And Rachel is spot on. I mean, 
Rod, you just said 250 to 300K. And knowing that 4% of businesses only have employees, and many of us don't have business in any way, and we're struggling to be successful, 250 to 300K, how do you get yeah. past that? You know, one of the things, too, I just want to get on this point that you made. So, so this question of networks is a thing that extends even beyond capital. So we, whether you're talking about this, this, this funder bias or other issues, this reality is that our networks look very, very different. So the ability to raise 250 to 300 is, is a hurdle. Um, the money that you have, most of the time we find that black businesses, they start with less of a nest egg. So whereas a lot of times a good entrepreneur, it may take them two, to two, two and a half years to figure out their business model. Um, most black people that start businesses don't have two years to get it right. Exactly. Most of them, if they're not able to get it right in, in the first year, maybe a year and a half, then they're out of business and they're back to a traditional job. So that's one of the big hurdles as well, just early on in terms of access to the friends and family now. And then having a nest egg that's sufficient to sustain someone while they try to figure out how to get that business. Right, especially during the low point. You're listening to the What's Your Revolution show with Dr. Charles Corper, sitting here with the guru, Daniel Applewhite, director of programs from Propeller, and the man, Roderick Miller, CEO of Ascendant Global Consulting, talking about access to capital and some of the pitfalls that happen that stymie businesses of color. Let me go back to you, Daniel. You, you wanted to... Give me that, that second point, that, that access to capital, that friends and family realm, the Series A as you were talking about. What's that? Yeah, and so, and I, and I think Rod made some excellent points as well, kind of on the, the opportunity that exists within those models. But when we're looking at uh, black families, right, friends and families, average net worth of friends and families when we're talking about black founders is about $11,000 compared to $144,000. Uh, for white Americans. And we're talking about liquid cash on hand in your friends and family network uh, that you're able to quickly pull together. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold up. $11,000 compared to? 144000 144000 So $133,000 disparity in. <laughs> starting out. Starting out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and, and I think that that constraint Right, also impacts the vision and kind of the pathway to which our business owners are building businesses, right? And so you, you have two options. Uh, as you talked about a business plan, you get your strategy together, step one. Step two, it's, it's usually to make money, right? Unless you come from a background where the expectation is you might not need to make money uh, right away. Because you can always raise money, right? Right, and you can build a bigger, more powerful, scalable structure uh, that will, in the end, make more money. Uh, but as Rod said, uh, you may not have that immediate need where I need to make money in the next two years, right? And you're seeing a lot of business models um, where these these scalable businesses they're not profit positive, right, um, for the first couple of years. And there's, in you know, in, especially in the tech space, we're seeing this. Um, and so I think opening up the opportunity for black founders to be able to create businesses, right, that don't need to make money immediately is going to be key. And I think that also bleeds into the representation, right? So we look at less than 1% of venture capital-backed founders being black, less than 0.3% of those being black women. We're looking at less than 2% of the people in 
decision-making roles in venture capital firms uh, being black, right? And so the representation and the funding disparities almost marry each other. Right, right, right. right. So the, the thing about it is I, I want to I go upstream a little bit with you, Rod, um, is that knowing all of this is that do we need <laughs> – and it's going to be kind of hard – do we need more funders of color in that in that lofty space to be able to say, you know what, I understand what it's like to begin a business and how do I then be able to give back? Um, is that where we need to go? Is we need to figure out how to garner more wealth so we have the ability to be more philanthropic with the funds? I think that's of course, part of the equation, I don't think that's the full equation. So there are a couple of things. So one is there is a formula that has tended to work for private equity, for venture capital. For venture capital, the formula is you get two white guys and an Asian that has a Stanford, <laughs> Harvard, and a, Stanford Harvard, and MIT. And we fund their company. And literally, that's the formula. They're, they're flip-flops, you know, T-shirts, maybe a hoodie, and backpack, right? Um, you look at companies like Google and, and, and Facebook. These companies, I mean, Facebook was years before they figured out how to make money. Uh, but now, you know, it's one of the, Mark Zuckerberg is one of the wealthiest people in the world. Right. So I guess the point, I guess the point I'm making is, is one, you've got to have enough money to sustain the business and to sustain oneself during that phase of growth and stabilization trying to figure out the model. Yeah. Um, two is, as you think about, uh, uh, money of color, you tend to find that money, people with, uh, with uh, money that are of color, especially black people, they got it a few different ways. It's, you know, it's either very traditional businesses, and what I found with traditional business people, whether they are, whether they're black, white, or purple, if they're a manufacturer or logistics person, nine out of ten times, they're going to invest in spaces that they're comfortable with. Right, right, so, exactly. Um, so, you know, so, so when you talk about black people that have money, most of the time it's not money that's sophisticated around high-growth spaces. Wow, okay, uh, okay. So that's, so that's a challenge. The other group, of course, is you look at the athletes and the entertainers. And a lot of that money is interesting money, but it's not very sophisticated at all. So you've got this issue where you need more money in the black community. You also need probably more sophistication and nuance about how to invest that money in kind of high growth right. Um, strategies. Right. So it, it, it sounds like, from what I hear, is that there needs to be, um, what I want to say, an accelerator for the people who can <laughs> accelerate to really be, to really understand that nuance and how they, that investment may be able uh, to allow their businesses to grow in another avenue. So in saying that, Rod, and I'm going to give this question to both of you, and Rob, you, you go first. So knowing that the, there is a the, there are these barriers to access to capital, and there are people who are listening to the show and say, okay, I hear you, I know all of these pitfalls, what do I do now? What do I do now? How do I, how do I gain access? What do I have to present to someone who is two white guys and an Asian and flip-flops and a hoodie, right, to invest in me, because oftentimes that's what happens. It's not a really an investment in the product; it is an investment in in the founder or entrepreneur. So I, I'll start that by saying this, uh, and, and I'm, we're talking specifically as it relates to that about high growth companies. Right. Uh, when I think about companies that aren't high growth and that are neighborhood based, those are still needed too. So if someone has a neighborhood based business, there are a myriad 
of supports and services to help CDFIs and such in the New Orleans area, throughout Louisiana, around the country, to help with those kinds of things. Um, but uh, I will tell you, investors invest not in ideas. Investors invest in people. Investors invest in action. So the first thing is to really think about what your business is and actually start a business. Um, I, I get so many calls from people that say, I've got this great idea. Can you go find me some, some people to invest in it? I'm like, no. <laughs> and the reason, no. Because, because those that talk, talk, and those that do do. And so investors do not want to invest in an idea. You can invest in an idea when you've got a track record of performance and actually running a certain type of business. Or, so there are, there are scenarios where investors will invest in ideas. But nine out of ten times, investors want to see that you've actually leaped out there on stage. You've got, got some resources behind you and that you're trying to figure out something. So the first thing I would say is figure out what your business is and figure out how to get it going. And because if you can get it going and start to show some progress, that's the point where you can start to have the conversation with investors about, well, what I really need money for is operations. And if I can get this, this operational money, I can grow from A to B. But if you're talking about from zero to A, it's a much harder proposition. I got you. I got you. So you need to be up and running. Um, do you need to have showings? Do you need to show some profit? Do you need to show your investor that this is going to work right now? N- not necessarily. You don't necessarily be. You don't need to be. You don't necessarily need to be in the black. But you need to show that there. You need to be able to show that there is a market for what you're providing. Gotcha. I so, gotcha. And so one of the best ways to show that there's a market that, that, that for what you're providing is to show. Oh, you've got some contracts to do this work already. Um, or you've got some, or you've got uh, some sales, or these are the other players in the market that are doing products that are related that would be competitive to yours, and this is why your product is so unique that it can that it can, it can get a significant piece of that marketplace. Exactly, exactly. I'm gonna go to Daniel. I, I want to say this, Rod. The reason for the What's Your Revolution show is that there are people of different hues that have a space like this. But it's not diverse, and they're not speaking towards men of color. And so I went looking for this space, right, and there was nothing there. There was nothing there that was going to motivate me, and everybody no, – there was no one who looked like me. The testimonials didn't look like me. They didn't sound like me, and so I couldn't find it. So I said, here's an opportunity for me to be able to provide that content. And so that's why I do it. That's why I do this show. That is why this empowerment, this empowerment movement, because I want men of color to have this space because it wasn't there for me when I went looking for it. Daniel, so going back, all right, how do, you know, Rod is giving us this myriad of supports that needs to be, play on that. What else needs to happen to be able to have that access to capital? Yeah, absolutely. And I would, I would absolutely echo everything Rod said. And I would, I would say from my experience, I say building allies and strategic partnerships um, has truly been instrumental in opening a variety of doors for myself as well as entrepreneurs that I've worked with. Um, but I would say the overall goal is to mitigate risk, right? And this, this goes towards um, kind of the pattern recognition or safe spot that Rod talked to earlier when, it's, um, when he was discussing who investors usually invest in, right? Um, and so I would say in terms of mitigating risk, you can do that a variety of different ways. Uh, if you do know and you're aware that they are usually investing in white men and you as a black man or black woman walk into a space and you know that that might be an area of risk that they're not used to, um, then I would look at who are your strategic partners, who's on your team, um, can you 
by any means necessary mitigate that risk before walking into the room and presenting your idea in front of them so there's a little less bias um, when they're listening. Right. right? Unpack that a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, unpack strategic allies and partners. Yeah, I think um, Propeller is a perfect example, right? Uh, so an accelerator program, I think if you if you take a look at what's locally available or regionally available, uh, putting and making sure you're 100% leveraging and taking advantage of all resources available to you. So I think in the accelerator program, it's a perfect example of having a strategic ally, right, that may have credibility, right, or ends with certain individuals that can really help you strategically grow your business, either on the customer side, uh, the funding side, or strategic direction side. Right, right. Um, and I've got to give a shout-out to Propeller. Um, my gratitude for being accepted into the Startup <laughs> Accelerator because it has allowed me, and like you said, yeah. to have Propeller and Tripwise to be strategic partners of What's Your Revolution and the spaces that have been opened for me. You know, so I, I, I'm really, really grateful. And you're right. But what happens if you don't get into Propeller? Mm. You know, mm. you're yeah. not fortunate, you know, like myself to get into Propeller, and you want to have those strategic partners. What else can you do? Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a great question. I, I, I would, during the beginning of the show, Rod talked about if you are a community business, um, there's a, a, a lot of different resources available to you. I would say it, we're beginning to see similar, similar things on the high-growth front. Um, and so it might be uh, in New Orleans, for instance, you might have the NOLA Business Alliance. Gotcha. Right? You may have your local Urban League chapter. Gotcha. Uh, you may have community development organizations. Um, Good Work Network's a good example. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but free resources, uh, reading and writing, has been a core element in what it is that I do. Um, and the amount of information available, I think, online, uh, as well as uh, picking up the phone and calling. Uh, right. And I think. That's a that's a, a lost art. Um, <laughs> it is. Just <laughs> Let me text you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> pick up the phone, establish relationships, and have conversations with the people in the city that you see um, as connectors and people that are holding power, influence, that can make introductions that you that may benefit the. So community. don't be afraid of your revolution, is what you're saying. Absolutely. Rod, Rod, last word here, brother. We've got to go to break, man. I appreciate your time. What would you say to that person who wants to start their business? What's that one or two things that you would say to that person as they begin to go out and look for capital? Well, well the first thing I, first thing I would say if somebody's uh, looking to start a business, I would want to understand why. Why are you trying to start a business? Why, why, why is that business going to be successful? What about that business is successful? And I think they have to go out with a very clear case. Like, like Daniel said, it's about risk mitigation and it's about return on investment. Right. So if you can make a case to investors, you know, if your risk is low and your return is going to be at least decent, yep. then, then you got a, you got a conversation. No doubt. Rod, brother, I appreciate you, man. I wish you great success in everything that you do. I am grateful for your time, man. Uh, please, we hope that we can have you again on the show. Uh, Thanks so for having we, me. we can get your knowledge. Brother Daniel Applewhite, Propeller, you know, thank you for everything that you do for us, brother. I appreciate it, man. It's yeah. an honor to work with you. No doubt. As we go to break, man, hopefully you are able. On the other side, my man Aaron Walker. CEO of Camelback Ventures will be on to talk about his revolution. We'll see you Thank on the you. other side. Take care, Rod. Thank you.
There's freedom at Liberty Bank. At Liberty Bank, you can now open a checking account online and gain immediate access to our many services. It's easy for you to go and keep track of your account at www.LibertyBank.net. You can even apply for loans or services on the go. Banking at Liberty, now 24 hours a day, seven days a week at www.LibertyBank.net. Bank at Liberty, there's freedom here. And don't forget to use promo code. WBOK. My mom has kind of an 80s thing, like a permanently stuck in the 80s thing. We're talking teased up feathered hair, acid washed denim jacket, and shoulder pads. So many shoulder pads. I've tried to bring her up to speed, but after a week or so, just right back to the leg warmers. But I just got a new phone from AT&T. And check this out. It came with a second one for free. It's the perfect replacement for my mom's phone, which I'm not sure she can text on if she even knew how. So I figured, why fight it? She loves her 80s TV. And this will totally help her stream all her favorite shows filmed in front of a live studio audience. Buy one of our popular smartphones at regular price from AT&T and get a second one for free when you buy both on AT&T Next with eligible wireless service. AT&T, more for your thing. That's our thing. Limited time. Each requires up to $800 on agreement. Select devices. Requires one new line. Minimum $65 per month combined for service on both with auto pay and paperless bill. Free after credits over 30 months that start within three bills. Taxes, fees, credit, and restrictions apply. See store for details. Are you looking for a revolution? Then tune in every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. to What's Your Revolution? A show for men and the people who love them. Join me, Dr. Charles Corcoran, as I unpack the issues men face on their journey to becoming the healthiest versions of themselves with some of the world's most fascinating people. Join the revolution. What's Your Revolution? Wednesdays at 3 p.m. right here on WBOK 1230 AM, where it's real talk for real time. Universal Printing in New Orleans East is the place to go for all of your digital printing needs. Universal Printing offers a wide range of printing services and promotional products. They handle everything from business cards to personalized prescription pads. They even print yard signs, banners, and vehicle magnets. Stop by Universal Printing at 9900 Lake Forest Boulevard in New Orleans East near Reed. Or give them a call at 504-244-1177. That's 504-244-1177. Come on down to Universal Printing and let the experts handle all of your printing, marketing, and promotional needs so you don't have to. Steppers of New Orleans LLC in partnership with New Orleans Recreational Department Commission, Nord C, teach you that smooth old school style hand dance. It's free, y'all, and open to the public every Tuesday at Rosenwald Recreational Center, 6.30 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Bring your friends and family for a night of fun, music, and dance, and be a part of the 21st Century Health, Social, and Cultural Consciousness Movement Movement. We'll be partying with a purpose as we launch a Wakanda-like New Orleans renaissance. No partner required. 
No need to bring sand to the beach. But feel free to bring one if you have one. Who that steppers? Embracing our culture and changing the world. One beat, one step, one song, one dance at a time. WBOK, New Orleans. Welcome back to the What's Your Revolution show. I want to thank my guest, Brother Roderick Miller, CEO of Ascendant Global Consulting, and the guru, my man, Daniel Applewhite, director of programs at Propeller. Check them out. Propeller's doing some great things. Uh, I have to be, you know, thankful and grateful for all that done, they have done for the What's Your Revolution show and the What's Your Revolution movement. So thank you so much, Propeller and Trepwise. Sitting next to... The other man, <laughs> my man, Aaron Walker, CEO of Camelback Ventures. What's up, brother? How you doing? Good. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, sir. Man, I feel like my dad. <laughs> I know, right? I know. <laughs> ah, here we go. Here we, here we go. Uh, everybody's got, you're just going to give me, come from both sides. I see. Okay. All right. How old are you, Aaron? Uh, 36. Man. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I guess I, I am your elder. That's right. You can call I me do. sir. I'll make you call me doctor. <laughs> um, Aaron, what's up, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I am good. What's your revolution, brother? What is my revolution? You know, it's uh, it started several years ago. I remember I was I was walking down the street one day with uh, with my wife and you know saying to her like you know why is it that uh, folks are ruthless for for evil? They could be ruthless for good. <clears throat> Mm. And, like, what would that look like? Right. You know, like, we sort of have this idea of ruthlessness being this thing that has to be associated with destruction. Uh, but I actually don't think it does. I, I think we can actually be ruthless for good. And I've been trying to be on that revolution for the last 10, 12 years and, and, and figure out how, how to do that. How can we take that, that sort of cutthroat nature about what we know needs to happen in the world to make things better, particularly for, for marginalized populations? Right. Uh, which is code for black and brown people, <laughs> natives, indigenous, right. blank. Um, how can we take that energy and, 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 and put it towards, towards justice and put it towards, towards equality and equity? Because, you know, you, we can look at our politics today and sort of see ruthlessness abound. Abound. In Everywhere. Way, <laughs> in, in ways that are ca- causing destruction. And oftentimes I think we, we have this idea that we just need to be, like, we just need to be patient and gentle and the world will change. Um, but I don't think that. No, no. Sometimes you've got to be revolutionary. And sometimes, as I, you know, it's contrary to what I say, Rachel, is that revolution is not always bloody riots in the street. But sometimes, you know, that revolution comes when you need to be assertive. You don't need to be gentle. I need to be able to make you uncomfortable, <laughs> right? It, it, exactly. A revolution needs to happen that way sometimes. Um, Aaron, tell the world a little bit. You know, you're in this space. You're doing great work. But... A little bit about who you are. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure how I ended up here. <laughs> uh, you know, as you can tell by my accent, I did not grow up in New Orleans. Mm. Um, I actually grew up in New Jersey, and you know, I, I consider myself one of the one of, one of the lucky ones. Like I 
grew up in a suburban town, was the first in my family to go to college. I went to the University of Virginia. Um, sight Unseen, which is... Sight, you went to Charlottesville Sight Unseen. Which is a whole other, no, you know, whole Virgi- other conversation. Virginia is supposed to be for lovers, <laughs> right? But I don't know about Charlottesville. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I mean, obviously, Charlottesville has a whole new context exactly. in, in, our, in, our, in our culture now. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think I appreciated it as much as, a, as an 18-year-old, but, you know, looking back 18 years later... How important it was to understand what it meant to be a black person and a black man while living in the South, which is not anything I had ever right. experienced. And so that was that was just as much a part of my education as any class that I took. Um, you know, but from from that experience, I ended up moving to Philadelphia and teaching. So I taught high school English. Teachers rule the world for a few years. Yeah, I think it's the it is the most important profession. It you is. Know, you sort of think about. Uh, you know, work that makes all other work possible. Mm. Uh, I, I put teaching in, in in that category. No doubt, no no doubt. And I always say that uh, being a teacher is the road to greatness. Mm-hmm. You know, and we know in the spaces that we run in, how many former teachers you know have taken that cachet that they've learned in the classroom and then built something else. I'm not going to say something greater. Yeah. Built something else, and oftentimes. It is to enable teachers to be able to do their jobs better. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. Before I get into this conversation, I, I, I have to. And the show is about how men can find the healthiest versions of themselves. And we're talking about access to capital today. But there was something that stood out yeah. in the initial conversation that we had at the coffee shop. Um, and it, may, it made me go home and think, I mean, and do a lot of reflection, <laughs> maybe too much reflection uh, in my own revolution as I, yeah. you know, do this every day. But as we were talking, you talked about your mother and your wife, yeah. right? And the statement wasn't, and I may get it wrong, but the man I am is because of my mother. Mm-hmm. The man who I'll become is because of my wife. That's right. Right. Unpack that. I mean, what does that mean? I mean, to hear that, you know, was amazing because I think about my mother. Yeah. You know, I think about my mother being this strong stalwart in my life, but not having that partner to make me better but un- unpack all of that for the people who are listening who so, say you know I don't I don't need to have that significant other in my life yeah i mean i i, I think for me uh you know i was my, my parents got divorced when i was when i was 8 years old and so i spent the majority of my my childhood with with my mom and you know credit to my dad yesterday was his 70th birthday oh, so nice. happy, happy birthday, birthday. yeah um, he was one of those individuals who was in my life so i don't want to sort of tell that so you know dad wasn't in his life story like that that was not the case but i recognize particularly having children of my own what it means to be there every single day right um and what that must have taken for my mother to sort of raise two two black boys now men um by herself every single day and 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 what that meant and you know just like the lessons that i learned through through just watching her example of just being just being steady and showing up every day and doing what needed to be done um you know, being care, caring and thoughtful about people and, and just all those ways that you um, you just sort of learn how to be an, be an adult, right? So I, I, I think that a lot of my disposition and who I am is, is, a, is a reflection of her. And if, you know, if, if I can just be a, a fraction of, of that reflection of, of what she is, then and if you like what you see, then you're going <laughs> to. No doubt, uh, no doubt. And, you know, when it, when it comes to my wife, you know, I just think that, um, you know, she, you know, she makes me better every day, and I try to imagine what I would be without her, and it doesn't look pretty. Yeah. Uh, you know, someday she says it doesn't look pretty as it is. <laughs> so I, I could only imagine what that what that would be otherwise, but, um, 
like, you know, I know that the things that I have done, um, you know, in the almost eight years of marriage and, you know, I don't know, 14 years of us knowing each other, a lot, a lot of that has been, you know, because of the, of the love and the grace and the pushing that, that she has shown me. And right. I think she will continue to show me um, if I'm so lucky. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, I think about my good friends, Quince, Kari, Phil, Eli, all have strong, supportive partners. Uh, my father and mother have been married for 52 years. It'll be 53 years in April. My father could not be the man he is back then and even now without my yeah, mother. Yeah. You know, it's a, a very interesting thing. Let's move into this conversation because, you know, the show will go by so fast. As we talked about in the last segment, access to capital is one of the toughest hurdles for entrepreneurs of color to overcome. Interesting, if you know anything about Camelback, you, you go on their website, it says genius is equally distributed. Opportunity is not. Camelback is here to change that. So tell the world, yeah. right? Tell the people because we've got people listening all the world. What is Camelback Ventures? So Camelback Ventures technically is a nonprofit organization, uh, <clears throat> and we run a fellowship and a fund where we uh, invest in entrepreneurs of color, particularly in the quote-unquote social impact space. So every year we go run around the country and try to find about 12 um, <clears throat> ventures to work with, right. and we provide them funding and, and technical assistance to do that. And like you said, it was sort of built on that on that ethos that genius is equally distributed, but access is not. And you know, while I I, I find that statement particularly powerful, is because oftentimes we just have these conversations. You know, black folks aren't out there, people of color aren't out there, women aren't out there. Um, but we know that that's not true, right? We know that we are we are out there, and that if you truly believe that genius is equally distributed, then when you look at disparities. Um, in our country, whether it be access to capital or, you know, which can mean a lot of different things in housing, then you have to sort of ask yourself, well, well why is that? Right. right. Those, those, exactly. are because of, those are because of choices, not because of inherently anything about those people. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, <laughs> I need to take a moment. <laughs> but it's true. You know, it, it is definitely true. And, and I think, not even I think, I was listening to Les Brown, and he was talking at the Manpower Conference uh, at Bishop T.D. Drake's church. Um, and he talked about one of the greatest travesties. I think that's the word that I want to say, greatest travesties, yeah. is that, you know, where, where, where the, where's the most pain, right? Or where's the most sorrow? And it's very interesting. He said the most sorrow is actually in the graveyard, right? Mm. He said, because that's where hopes and dreams go to die, because there's so many of us who have these hopes and dreams, but for some reason or another, they don't fulfill them. And oftentimes it is because of access to capital. Um, so when was the moment? All right. When was the moment? I go back to my other question. When was the moment that you realized that this was the space that you were supposed to be in, that you were supposed to be the revolutionary for those hopes and dreams so they wouldn't die and go to the graveyard? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wish I could say it was it was one one moment of of uh, beautiful clarity, but I think it's been an evolution. You know, it's been an evolution of being, uh, you know, what my wife would call the lonely only <laughs> in so many different spots in my life, whether it be, you know, at law school in the law firm teaching. Right, only two percent of um, our teaching force are black men. Yeah, you know, in all these different spots and. You know, I sort of got to this point in my life where I wanted to sort of put my foot down, and it was it was in this space, in this area, where I said, you know, I want to put my foot down as it pertains to entrepreneurship, because I think that, you know, entrepreneurship uh, is a, is a path to financial freedom, 
you know, for, for our for, for our people. Exactly. Um, and if we continue to invest in our communities and yeah. entrepreneurs of color that can bring that back. You listen to the What's Your Revolution show with Dr. Charles Corper, sitting here talking, having candid conversation about access to capital with the CEO of Camelback Ventures, Aaron Walker, talking about what made him get into this space. What were some of the struggles that you experienced early on as you built out this revolution? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, you sort of reach this point now, you know, you are, you know, you're, you're singing my praises and all that good stuff. But like there was like before all that, you know, there was, was all the other stuff that didn't work and all those moments where you were wondering whether it was it was going to you were going to get over the hump. So, you know, to be to be candid, Camelback is the third venture I've started. Nice. Um <clears throat> Well, the most successful. Right. You probably haven't heard of the other two. <laughs> <laughs> what were the other two? Because you know there's always that story. Uh, and that's, you know, there's reason for that. So the first one was called Teacher Capital Management. The long and short of it is we were creating a teacher talent agency. So we wanted to, like, represent teachers, like agents represent athletes or entertainers. <laughs> okay. Uh, so sort of a crazy, bold idea. Uh, and then I did some – I had, like, a consulting firm. We were running – we're sort of building into a to an expert network. So um, there's actually a company here in um, in New Orleans who sort of is, is doing a similar similar concept called Catalyst Ed that I actually right sit, exactly sit on, sit with on the board Christie. Of. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, when she when she told me what she was doing, I was like, oh, I tried to create something like that. Maybe you could do it better than I could. <laughs> let, let, let me sit on your board and tell right. you all, all the stuff that I, right. I, I I didn't do right. So all all that to say is like you know, and that that took that took two years, two and a half years to sort of figure out. And so. You know, like my my wife likes to always remind me of those times where, you know, I was just like sitting on the floor crying, or I just had like, you know, what, I just I'm just gonna like watch Ricky Lake today, or like, <laughs> <laughs> or just or just something to make is me she feel. Ricky Lake, is she still on? I don't. This was years ago. <laughs> this was years ago. Uh, you know, just something to make me feel better about myself, so I could like, you know, just just forget about my problems for, for a while. And so, but but I think it's important to connect to those to those to those moments and sort of remember them because. Um, you know, like success is fleeting. It is. It is. And you, know, <laughs> you realize in this business, the loneliest times are at the end of the day and at the beginning of the day, mm-hmm. right? When you, <laughs> when it's just you and your thoughts. <laughs> you, right. When you're an entrepreneur and you're struggling and you're like, man, why am I doing this? When you're, oh, end of the day, no calls, ton of no's. Wake up. I got to start this all over again. Yeah. But it's interesting that you say now that Camelback – Ventures is being successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 um, 530 applications yeah. this year. Where, and the first year you started at what? We had 46. 46, yeah. right? So you're seeing uh, still 12, right? Still mm-hmm. 12, but 530 applications. That means people hear about you and they know that at the end, and I know my uh, my big brother Larry Irvin talked about the success yeah. Yeah. that he experienced through Camelback. Um, as you think about this, you know, and you have to get funding. You still have to go out and lobby and say what I'm doing is going to have an impact. What's the success story that you tell to get funders to open their checkbook for you? <laughs> you know, um, I guess I guess two things. So one is when we started the so one of the biggest lessons learned from my my first two startups is that you have to be your first investor, whatever that means, and so. You know, as opposed to letting some idea sit on a piece of paper and try to perfect it on paper, I try to perfect it in the real world. And so I use, you know, my own money to get Camelback started. I had a couple friends who wrote, who wrote some checks, so I want to appreciate it and acknowledge that too. Um, but what that did was 
it told people that I was serious about this. This wasn't just an idea that lived on paper. I had real people to talk about. We worked with three entrepreneurs in this little pilot that wasn't perfect by any means. It wasn't what you sort of see on our website right now. <clears throat> but uh, I, I think it created a picture for people for what it could be. And, uh, you know, we sort of told the story of that pilot and raised a million dollars and been able to grow from there. Uh, what? <clears throat> so that's that's one thing I think is just actually, you know, talking about real people and the problem that you're trying to solve, you know, like we're still all humans. Investors are still all humans. Funders are still all humans. And so they want to, they want to connect to that. Uh, related to that point is, uh, to be honest, a lot of this is about, and there we can get into a deep conversation about, you know, whether this is good or bad, but a lot of it's still about relationships. It is. Everything, every, everything is about relationships. You know? And so I, I wish I could be, I could sit here and say that it was the perfectly crafted <laughs> argument about X, Y, Z. Um, and that's not to say that I don't think we, you know, make perfectly crafted arguments, but it's also just to acknowledge and recognize that some of this is just about social capital. Right. And the fact that, you know, you know, you, you build relationships with certain people and, you know, oftentimes if you're raising money from, from funders, I mean, the way the game works is that people ask, they ask you to apply. So, I mean, the thing is, the hard work is getting them to ask you to apply. Like, once they've asked you to apply... To be honest, like unless something goes completely wrong, it's a done deal. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> right. But you've built that relationship right. in the beginning. And I think ent entrepreneurs, some, again, I won't put all, think about how do I go in? I go in and I need this money. I need this money. And that social capital is the piece. And, and, and Rod and Daniel spoke to that a little bit. But really understanding how do you broker that? How do you, how do you be genuine? Mm -hmm. about building relationships and staying away knowing that and when you're in a position of power and when you're in a position to give money I think it may be difficult because you're wondering who is real and who's not <laughs> you know and you know and then on the flip side when you know that at, at the end of the day I want to build this relationship because at the end of the day the outcome is I want you to believe in my idea and fund it how do you then still come across yeah. as genuine yeah I mean look I, I think they don't have to be your best friend right uh, you know, not, we're not trying to get married, not looking for, 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 you know, a best man or, you know, bridesmaid for the wedding where right? you, you just, you just, <laughs> you just want to, you just want to have some connections, you know, connections with people and build trust with them, you know, build trust that you are the right person to lead this thing that they have confidence that in the, in the, the world of choices that they have about where they can put their dollars that, um, that you're the one that could that could figure it out, right. right? Even even if the thing that you have today isn't isn't necessarily perfect, and you know, the part of the reason I say we can have a conversation about that is that's ripe with bias. That's what we talked about earlier. Right? It you is know? it is ripe with bias, and we talk about investor bias. Um, you're right, and that and that is a long <laughs> that is definitely a longer conversation because how do we overcome that when you are comfortable, you built these relationships when you haven't done the hard work to get outside of your comfortable confines of relationships. Right. And that's tough. And, and that's tough to break into certain spaces because that investor bias or that personal bias is still there. I'm comfortable being in this space, investing in this. I've seen this. And we want to make sure – and that's why diversity, equity, inclusion is so important at the heart level. Right. right. And so when I go out on the other side of what I do is I begin with let's do the heart work. Because I, 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 if I can't do the hard work with you, your mindset is never going to change. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's that's a critical piece of the work that I do. If you had an open checkbook, <laughs> right? If you had an open checkbook, what would you do? How would you build on the Camelback concept? 
Yeah, I thought you were gonna say where I was gonna go on vacation. <laughs> I, I was like, I, I got some, I got some ideas about that. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. There, there's a volcano in Costa Rica that I'd like to hike. Um, but as as it pertains to as it pertains to Camelback, and in many ways, if we had an open checkbook, I think we'd build a fund. You know, we would build a, you know, hundred million dollar plus fund uh, to truly support entrepreneurs of color in the way that I think they need to be supported. I think what we have learned and recognized is. You know, there's there's a pipeline, there's a funnel, and entrepreneurs are trying to move through that funnel, and Camelback occupies one space within that. And so, for a little bit of time, you know, they they can they can exist in this space that's going to support them, that's going to understand what their identity is in the world, that's going to maybe understand an idea that someone that they have that someone else doesn't. Um, but what I also recognize and have seen multiple times is that, you know, they still have to engage with the outside world and the external world, and so. You know, I, I, there are oftentimes I wish we just had more money right. to actually support entrepreneurs a little bit further along the path that they need to get to um, to really be able to take off. I feel like, you know, sometimes we, you know, we, we get them to 10,000 feet, but what they really need, to, they need to get up to 30,000 right, feet. Right, exactly. And, and how do we have the runway um, and, and, and the ability to sort of help them get to that point? Because many businesses of color, many entrepreneurs of color are, are not that unicorn startup, you know. Social impact, and that's what Camelback Ventures is about. How are you making social impact, and how are you investing in your communities? How are you investing in health, education, economic development, yeah. workforce development that are going to have an impact on people's lives? And so, knowing that the you know Airbnb and Uber and Lyft, you know these unicorn startups that still have a tremendous impact, but you know down at that 300 foot level, right yeah. in the community, right. Yeah. How do we make that difference? It, it's not that, and, and that access to capital is, is, tremendo- is tremendously key. You scared me, Jazz. <laughs> so, you know, as we begin to close out, yeah. um, what are some tips and strategies that you know we want? We always want people who listen to the show to be able to say, you know what, I heard this, and now I can go run with it. What yeah. are some tips and strategies you would give to entrepreneurs as they're in it, not in their startup? Well, in their startup, but they're in it to go find capital to sustain themselves and grow? Yeah, so I, I, get, I think a few things. So one is be clear about whether you're a venture-backed company or not. I think there's often a seduction and a sexiness in the conversation about VCs and Silicon Valley and going to get VC money. Um, that's only one type of money uh, that you can raise. There are bank loans. You can do crowdfunding, equity crowdfunding. There's there's just like multiple vehicles out there. So I would just keep your mind open around what that looks like and try to identify the kind of business that you have and the best type of financing uh, for that business. When you say loans, that kind of scares people sometimes. <laughs> like, oh, wait a minute. Why are loans, and I want you, after you answer that question, to define venture capital. Uh, why are loans still good for businesses? Uh because sometimes you you know you know your um, path to revenue and what you just need is some working capital right to to get there and then you can pay it back and then that way someone doesn't own a piece of your company and Got it's sort and of so this, that's the equity piece right, and that's the equity piece whereas you know what you may say to yourself I I have the skills and know how to 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 start this business I just need some capital to get some equipment or you know whatever the case may be and I know that once I get going I can. You know, I can I can make some money, or maybe you've already started. And you've gotten some revenue, but you you kind of need you need a little bit more um, 
stuff to sort of make that happen. Right. So, yeah. No doubt, no doubt. Aaron, I appreciate the time, brother. Uh, how do people find out more about Camelback Ventures and Aaron Walker? Definitely. So you should go to our website, uh, camelbackventures.org. Uh, check out our st- check out our work. Um, people can check me out on Twitter, uh, Walker underscore AT. And gotcha. uh, send me a note. Gotcha, gotcha. We appreciate the time, brother, so much, so much. Check out Camelback Ventures and all that they're doing to make sure entrepreneurs of color are getting what they need to sustain and grow. We want to thank the Bayou Lois Lane for joining us today and producing our show. My man, Kendall the Jazz Williams, for being behind the wheels of steel. We thank you for listening in each week for this, what I think <laughs> is an amazing show. Uh, we will talk to you next week when we have uh, another show about the millionaire mindset how you can become a millionaire with my main man Ahmed Hazel we look forward to it next week and always be able to answer the most provocative question of your life what's your revolution we'll see you next week everyone take care say yeah say yeah